The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive podcast. Uh, it's your co-host, John Cuna. Uh, Jotham is away for this week. Um, and we've got a little bit of a different show today. Um, we're actually joined here by a special guest, um, someone I've known pretty much my entire life, uh, Marco Sanchez. I'm just going to give him a little bit of an intro um, from some of the stuff that he does and what he has done, and then we're going to get into some system back and forth conversation um, on some of the stuff he does and what we, um, how our, both our fields kind of intersect. So, Marco Sanchez, gym owner, performance coach, personal trainer, licensed massage therapist, Under Armour brand influencer, educator, and consultant. Uh, Marco really has dedicated his entire life to enhancing his clients' performance and well-being through both sports and functional training. As a coach, trainer, therapist, educator, and innovator, Marco is one of the industry's most dynamic and prominent young figures, uh, which is why we're blessed to have him here today. Uh, from 20, 2009 to 2019, he worked for world-renowned um, Mike Boyle at Mike Boyle and Strength and Conditioning as one of their senior coaches. I uh, contribute to the foremost innovation and in functional training theory and programming. Um, and he also served as the clinic director as Movement as Medicine, which is the official massage and movement therapy extension of the Boyles facility. Um, in 2014 to 2019, Marco was a senior educator for the Certified Functional Strength uh, Coach Program. Uh, Marco was part of the development um, and advanced training of the coaching education course. Um, he was, he's been blessed to teach over 2,000 coaches, trainers, and therapists in over 20 countries. Um, he also spent his season 2013 to 2014 as the strength and conditioning coach for the San Jose Sharks, heading up their um, American League affiliate in Worcester, Mass. Uh, Marco's been contracted as a coach and therapist at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis to help prepare athletes for the demanding tests of the Combine. He's worked with several athletes from the 2015 um, NFL Draft, including Joey Bosa and Michael Thomas. Uh, Marco's clientele consistently includes professional and collegiate athletes, Olympians, top high school prospects, um, and demanding amateurs. Marco continues to build an international profile, um, having been invited to present in educational seminars in over 20 countries. So we are extremely blessed to have you, brother. Um, side note, too, I've, I've known Marco. He's been one of my closest friends for my whole life. Uh, we'll try to keep some of the some of those stories of our youth, uh, maybe off the air as not to scare people away. Uh, so, but one of the biggest things that I love to talk about when I'm speaking with just professionals in their field is kind of to hear a little bit about how they got here. So, um, I'm really kind of curious to hear from you, Marco, uh, like when did you realize that this was a passion and purpose for you of working in this field? Yeah, sure. First, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen to it uh, all the time, pump it to everybody that is close to me. I, I want everybody to 
listen to the work you guys are doing because it's amazing stuff. So I really try to make sure that I encourage uh, not just my clients, but my athletes to be, uh, you know, their biggest, their own biggest advocate for their mental health. Um, and obviously you guys are at the forefront of that. So I do everything I can to promote you guys to, to everybody that I work with. So thank you for having me on. It, yeah. It's a, it's an honor. Of course. Appreciate it. <laughs> so my story could be very long, but I'll give you the more abridged version of <laughs> how I got to where I am today. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned, we grew up together in Lexington and I went to Merrimack College my freshman year, and I was actually a business major with a minor in economics, kind of always thinking I would go a traditional route that would land me, um, you know, working for my grandfather's business, which is what my, my, you know, a business my grandfather founded, my mom works for him. It was just sort of seemed like a natural progression for me to go in that direction. Uh, after, uh, you know, having a great freshman year, and when I say great, I mean, uh, let's just put it this way, I was at a small Augustinian college with a big drinking problem. So it was it was quite fun, but there was not much academics happening. Uh, I transferred to UMass Boston, where I learned that strength and conditioning was actually not only a course, uh, that it was an entire major that you could concentrate in health sciences and that you could study strength and conditioning. And I had always been into lifting weights. You know, we always did it as kids as part of a you know, training for our athletics. Uh, you know, we played soccer together our whole lives. And, you know, I always trained for that and for hockey. And, and I also just liked lifting weights. I wanted to look big. I wanted to be strong. So I really just enjoyed it. And when I learned that, you know, it, it never really occurred to me that there was there were career strength and conditioning coaches or that there were career, um, you know, personal trainers. It just never really clicked in my head. Um, so when I learned that there was strength and conditioning, not only as the major, but uh, or not only as a, a concentration, but, um, you know, that you could you could win the Stanley Cup as a strength and conditioning coach or you could win a World Cup mm. as a strength and conditioning coach. That sort of really uh, motivated me to pursue this career path, because obviously my athletics weren't going to take me there. But I knew there was a chance that you could somehow, you know, get your hands on some hardware someday. So I, I went down that path. I, I transitioned everything to strength and conditioning. Um, and then that first summer as a strength and conditioning student, I got an internship at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, as you mentioned. Um, I was one of 200 applicants of only 20 uh, interns that were accepted. And I was probably the least experienced when I arrived. I knew really nothing about strength and conditioning for athletes. I knew how to do bench press. I knew how to squat. I knew how to do bicep curls. Um, but that was really it. Like, I didn't really know. Yeah, I didn't know how to train for performance, right? Um, so I think actually that was to my advantage because I went in with no prior education, really, um, that I was just a sponge. And I just kind of looked around the facility and I worked really hard all summer. And I was like, okay, who are the people that these guys like the most? Like, I'm going to follow these people around and I'm going to copy these coaches and I'm going to try to be as good as some of these other guys. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I worked hard and obviously made mistakes, but I had a tremendous amount of success and I was fortunate to be offered a position at the end of that internship. And the rest is history. I actually never went back to school because I was getting paid to learn and coach uh, from the best in the world, as opposed to taking out more student loan debt to sit in a classroom to potentially learn some outdated information. I always had the thought in my head that I would go back to school that I would finish. Um, but I just my career just progressed so quickly. 
and I never hit a roadblock. I never hit somewhere that I wanted to get that I couldn't get to because I had never finished my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of what led me, you know, down that road with Mike Boyle. Because of him, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to, to get a, a season in with the San Jose Sharks, which was an amazing experience because um, I had always wanted to try the team setting. I ultimately learned that it wasn't for me, that I enjoyed the autonomy and the freedom of the private sector, being my own business person, being an entrepreneur, which I which I learned to love. But I still had that opportunity, which was which was a real blessing. Uh, and then, you know, the certified functional strength coach was the last piece that sort of solidified who I am as a coach and trainer that sort of put me in the position that I'm in now. Um, I was blessed with the opportunity to travel all over the world for five years. I was basically on an airplane every other weekend. Uh, I went all over the Middle East, South America, Asia, Europe, and I taught basically the Mike Boyle strength conditioning system that we packaged into a one-day training course. So I would go and teach this course to personal trainers, coaches, chiropractors, uh, massage therapists, physical therapists, you name it. Uh, and, and, and it was really the thing that propelled me to the next level in my career, because once you, I, I think it's very similar in most industries that once you can become an educator in your field, uh, you know, and you're regarded as an expert, that is sort of when a lot more doors and windows of opportunity can be made available for you. So, so that's sort of how I got to where I am now. I own my own facility here in North Andover, and I have another one along the way, uh, hopefully in Waltham. And we are cooking. We've been open for about a year. A year next month, we'll be celebrating. We opened during the pandemic, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, that, that's a fun conversation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- that's me. This is where I am every day, coaching still about 30 to 35 hours a week. And uh, yeah, managing my business and, and, and doing everything I can to help as many people as possible. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that both of us have in common. We've had many conversations about both our industries and it's always comes down to, I mean, we both got into our fields for, for different reasons, but the same purpose of trying to just help as many people as possible. Right. And so that's one of the things that you and I very much align on, which is always great. So our conversations are awesome around like when we start spinning ideas of what that might look like in the future. Um, And that's always just a lot of fun. And for, for people who don't know, Marco, for people who are listening who know Marco, they already know they already know this, but he's one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and no surprise of the, the successes you've had, brother, given the opportunities of and then just being able to run with it. So, um, you know, you brought up that you opened up your own business during the pandemic. I am kind of curious, you know, because gyms took it, you know, t- there was a, you know, gyms were closed and gyms were open and it was all this sort of this, this lots of noise around. I'm kind of just curious to hear, like, how did you manage that? Right. Like for us. We just went online and did telehealth and that was how we've sort of been able to sustain or do walking sessions or things like that to try to meet the need during a unprecedented time. Um, but I'm kind of curious to hear like what that journey was like for you of like, how did you manage with COVID and what did that look like for your clients? Yeah, so it was it was interesting because when the pandemic started, I wasn't really working. My daughter was about six months old and I had been, um, when my daughter was born, I, I had I stopped working for about three months and then I went back to just working with a few families, um, you know, in-person training, treatment, just sort of overall lifestyle, healthy habits manager. Um, and I worked for about three families and we always kind of had this gym idea on the back burner. And, and when COVID started, and again, I always 
I've, I've told this story a lot on podcasts and in interviews and things, and I always put an emphasis on it that, you know, my wife and I recognized how atypical and fortunate our situation was. We had three families that I had been working with for a long time who were more than willing to continue to provide me with my income and support us through the pandemic. So while most personal trainers, most gyms, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we're, we're kind of handcuffed and put into unfortunate situations. Mm -hmm. We recognize how fortunate we were and we're very grateful that those people are in our lives. Um, you know, and so we did everything we could to try to give back to other coaches and trainers and gyms that we knew that were struggling. But that being said, opening a gym during the pandemic was, was kind of tricky and, and also, um, not so tricky at the same time. And, and one of the things that was not tricky about it was that I knew that anybody who showed up to a new gym in the middle of a pandemic was likely somebody who was not overly concerned about the risk factors associated with being in a gym. Um, so I knew that all I kind of had to do was stick to what the state was putting out for guidelines, you know, socially distanced equipment, masks. Uh, we invested in some high-tech ventilation systems in here that we actually have two of them that are designed for a facility twice this size. Well, uh, some, some industrial size, um, HEPA air filtration systems that according to their literature, remove 99.97% of airborne pathogens, including COVID. Uh, we have some big windows and some big doors that we were able to, you know, keep open at least through the winter, keep cracked. Um, we did really well. We kept everybody spaced out. Um, you know, I kind of became the X factor, right? Because I was the person who would see everybody. Yeah. Other people could come in and maybe only see the two or three people in the gym at the same time as they were. Um, but, you know, knock on wood, we're obviously not all the way through it, but it feels like we're kind of coming out on the other side um, to where all my clients have been vaccinated. Um, and we had no COVID spread in the gym. We had two instances where people came and, at, you know, within 24 hour, 24 to 48 hour period had informed me that they had tested positive for COVID. So we had to do all the contract tracing and we had to shut the gym down for a day and do a deep cleaning and everything. Uh, but there was never any spread of COVID here, which was just fantastic. That was like my goal was to kind of get through this without any of my clients being uh, infected with COVID because of the gym. And we did that. It seems like we're going to accomplish that, um, you know, pending any variants or you know mm -hmm. reboosting in, in in covid cases but so yeah it, it was definitely tricky definitely challenging it allowed me to uh accept some of the slower pace starts that a, a startup may have um and it allowed me to not put so much pressure on myself to hit certain benchmarks or milestones in the first three months first quarter first six months um, because i knew that we were working in a situation that was already disadvantageous mm -hmm. um but you know all things aside we've done fantastic we've been self-sustaining like i said we're in the 11th month we've been self-sustaining since the since the eighth month there's still a lot of money to be made back from initial investments but we're covering um all overhead expenses including my payroll and and so we've we've actually grown from zero to about 77 members in the first year during wow. the pandemic and we're moving pretty rapidly now over the past few weeks. We've had anywhere from four to five new people coming in every week. So we we are cooking. But, you know, it did come with its challenges. 
and you know we did everything that we could to help other gyms and we know you know a lot of people didn't a lot of gym owners didn't survive this business wise and and that's really unfortunate but um I think one thing COVID did do, and then I'll stop my little rant. I think COVID was actually really good on the fitness industry from one aspect is that it forced a lot of people who maybe didn't have one before to find an entrepreneurial spirit because they kind of had to be like, shit, like I got to survive this. What am I going to do? Right. Uh, and so it put a lot, it, it definitely filtered a lot of strong people up to the top. And I think it weeded some people out, which is always good. Because competition's great, and I think it put the squeeze on a lot of these big box gyms um, to take care of their best talent. Because I think a lot of trainers and coaches realize, like, hey, I don't need Boston Sports Club or I don't need mm -hmm. Equinox or Gold's Gym to make a business because I've got myself and I've got the internet and I can create a business um, for myself. And so I think that all in all, while there was some negative things, I think that COVID will have a positive impact on the fitness industry uh, if you look at it more chronically. Yeah, that's great. I mean, in terms of like you like what you said, like it's sort of weeding out those just massive conglomerates that, you know, and Boston Sports Club and they went through their own trials and tribulations and things like that, their own, their own problems. We don't have to get into that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, and I think like you said, I think it's, it's really promoted people to, you know, the ones that want to work their tails off during situations like that to make something worth it are the ones that deserve to be up there anyway. And I think you're a, a perfect example of someone that was able to do that of like, all right, we got a really shitty situation right here and how are we going to make it work? Right. And you were able to, and I think that, that you, when you get more people in the industry, they can think creatively like that. It just makes the industry that much better. And I think we've we've seen similar st stuff like that with with mental health. Um, that you know, I talk about this all the time with Jotham in terms of you know what are we gonna what are we gonna notice about the pandemic? Like afterwards, are we like is the pandemic causing these massive spikes in anxiety and depression and all these different things, or was it always there and now we're just more aware of it? And I think it's probably the latter. I think it's sort of just like it's always been there that undercurrent and we had to really think about ways to to meet people where they were i think we see a lot of kids with adhd a lot of young men um and like sitting behind a computer screen wasn't gonna do it for them um and so we had to be think creatively all right like let's go to some some athletic fields and throw a baseball around or hit hit some balls or throw a lacrosse ball or go for walks or things like that like we had to think creatively in order to meet people where they were and you now start to see more more people. There was actually just an article re re recently released um, in Psychology Today about like the science of walking sessions that was just put out and things like that. And I think you're going to start to see more of those those things come through. And so, you know, in one end, yeah, the pandemic was was pretty terrible for a lot of people. And um, we like you, we were really fortunate that we were we made out OK and we were able to sort of survive it. But I think in the on the positive end, it's it's actually pushed the industry to be better, um, and we're starting to see some of the the results of that. So, um, so one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk to you about, and you know, we've we've had many conversations about sort of the intersectionality between like physical fitness and mental fitness, um, and how they're most of the time seen as like two different things when really they're 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 all intertwined. Um, but I am kind of curious to hear your thoughts around. Um, like the new age of, of physical fitness and things like that. I think for, you know, for a long time, you know, everything needs reform and everything needs change. And I think, uh, fitness was one field as well as mental health as well, where it was sort of just kind of stuck in its ways for a long time. And I'm kind of curious, where do you, how have you seen the industry shift? Um, how have you been able to adapt and maybe where do you see it going? 
Yeah, sure. And I think you described it really well, like, you know, when you were describing fitness and mental health as almost like they were compartmentalized as two different pieces of the puzzle, when in reality, we know it's not a puzzle, it's a painting, right? Yeah. Uh, And I always try to say that to people when I'm educating them about anatomy specifically, I go, stop thinking about the body as a bunch of pieces of puzzle that are clicked together and think of it as a painting where everything blends together and runs together. Right. So what I think that means for the future is I think we're going to see people with a lot, with with much fewer people in their camp. And what I mean by that is you're going to start to see the hybrid coaches slash hybrid mental health professionals rise to the top. And what I mean by that is you're no longer going to see the professional athlete that has their strength and conditioning coach, their massage therapist, their mental health practitioner, their nutritionist, right? The the fewer people you can have in your camp, the better. And the more hats you can wear as a professional, the better. Yep. It's one of the things that makes me so desirable as a coach is the fact that I have a nutrition certification. I have a license to do manual therapy and rehab. I'm also a strength and conditioning coach, mm-hmm. right? So like a lot of people, you can manage a lot of those areas in here. Now, of course, like I'm not a mental health uh, professional. That's why I have people like you. But <laughs> but I think that still like, you know, the coach that can develop more tools in the toolbox. And when I say coach, I don't just mean fitness coach. Um, the, the coach that develops more and more tools and keeps putting more tools in the toolbox, I think are going to be the coaches that we see come to the top because like you said, it's people want a more holistic approach from fewer professionals, not this compartmentalized, like I go work out and then I go to my acupuncture and then I have to go and meet with my nutritionist this evening. Tomorrow I have an appointment with my uh, mental health practitioner, right? Like the more you can blend all these professions together um, and maintain the quality of the profession uh, is important. And I, and I always stress that, right? I always tell personal trainers like, don't be a shitty physical therapist. And I tell physical therapists, don't be a shitty personal trainer, right? Like learn the skills or if you don't have the skills, like be able to accept that and put your ego aside and send them to the right person. But we have seen more and more, at least from my perspective in the fitness industry, coaches really, really eager to build more tools in their toolbox beyond just like, oh, now I have a piece of paper that says I can do this. Like they actually want to understand it, get better at it and deliver a better product. So I think that's where we see it. I, I think we, we're going to see a future with a lot more health and wellness clinics yeah. that encompass all the things that we just described so that people can walk into one place and have all their different things managed. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we might still be 10, 15, 20 years away from that. But I think in our lifetime, we will see, you know, real uh, established health and wellness facilities that do all these things that we've just discussed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's going to end up sort of being like menu of options, right? Like going in there and being like, all right, here are the things that I need. And who's the who's the clinician that can give that to me, right? Or who's the, who's the person that can give me those different things? I really like the the imagery that you put up of like the painting. And I think we we hear that all the time. And I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people forget that the brain is a part of the body, right? I think we, when we talk about it, we think about it of like, it's this just magical thing that's just like separate from ourselves. And so like we, while we focus mostly on training the brain and how it operates and making sure that it's working optimally. I think people forget that it's, it's a, it's a muscle in the body. And so it is not just like a, okay, we, it's not a puzzle. Like you said, it's, it's, it's this massive painting that needs to all blend together. And I really like that, that imagery of that. And I think 
to your point of people being more sort of having more hats that they can wear as a single person, I think is super important. And I think that's why a lot of people are coming to to me and to other clinicians who do the same stuff of, you know, in our, in the world with, with athletics for me, there's like the performance coach, which is not a certified clinician who's just focused on doing like mental fitness exercises or helping to sort of optimize performance. And then there's clinicians who do sort of like the treatment and there's no one really that's doing both at the same time. And to me, it's crazy, right? And it's nuts that, you know, if you're working with someone who's working on performance, but they're dealing with anxiety or depression or identity or all those different things that we pretty much always see, you're going to run up against some, some stone walls in, in performance training. Like you can't get the person to perform optimally if they're not, if their brain isn't functioning optimally. And if you don't have the person to be able to work with that, that can handle both of those things, you're going to have a performance coach who's going to come up against the brick wall and say, oh, well, you know what? Maybe you should go and talk to this other person to handle these different things. And then, like you said, when you start adding multiple people to your camp. It just gets a little bit more complicated and translation gets lost. You really want to have a singular person who can be like managing those things um, or at least minimal, like minimize the amount of people that are in your camp. It's so important. Right. So sometimes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen, right? And with like too many different lenses, like you said, things get lost or, you know, at least from my perspective, and I'm sure it's probably no different in, in your industry, but there's a lot of ego in here. Well, it's like, well, the physical therapist said to do this. Well, I think your physical therapist is wrong. So I don't, I'm going to have you do this instead, right? Like I think that the fewer people and the fewer people working under the same umbrella is going to ultimately give you the best results. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I and I, I think that the wellness programs, like you said, I think is one of the things that, that is going to be um, definitely the, the place of the future. And you start to see like these little things, you, you see like wellness centers kind of popping up um, in different places. I, I've got my curiosities about how those are being, how those are functioning and whether or not they're going to be sustainable in the models that they have. But um, I think that people are starting to understand um, the importance of trying to have someone who can manage these these different things and that when we talk about the body we're talking about the physical body the mind nutrition and how they are all completely unified and it's not like these three separate floating things it's all one it's all one and if they're all up op, op, you know running optimally then you will be too um and i think that that's sort of the new age for when i think of like where mental health is turning as well it's sort of aligned with where i think the physical fitness world is going to go as well um, specifically with athletics. And I think a lot of the pro teams, I think, have the right idea by designating like, um, you know, therapists for teams or clinicians for teams or or things like that. I, I'm curious of how busy those people are, of how many of how many of those athletes are actually going and talking to them. And I think because it's, I think it'd be done in a different way. Um, but I think that eventually you're going to have a person who's just sort of like the wellness person, right? Who's going to be able to sort of like, okay, something's up here. Let's let's talk about how we can increase your wellness. And I think that's probably going to be the language we're going to be more accustomed to moving forward. So, um, you know, one of the things that I was kind of curious when you were when you were talking about COVID, um, you know, we certainly saw in our field, we certainly saw pretty massive spikes in anxiety, depression. Um, isolation, um, a lot of things coming up. And with athletes specifically, um, one of the things that I see a lot of is athlete and injury. So I do a lot of injury recovery. And I think when athletes get injured, they go to like PT um, to get fixed up and get their muscles working properly, but they don't go to a, a therapist to sort of work on the trauma of the injury. They get separated from their sport. They get separated from their team most likely, and they lose a big sense of their identity. And so I'm kind of curious for the athletes that you worked with, 
what did you what were the conversations like like through covid and uh were there things that you really noticed that came up during those during that time yeah sure so <clears throat> you know particularly with like my performance athletes i'm always trying to we're always trying to think about right like we've got a goal what's the goal we're focused on the goal and the goal in most instances is like okay to win the stanley cup or win the super bowl and now what sort of small benchmarks and goals can we have along the way yeah. to help get us there? Uh, but with COVID, when COVID happened, the language I kind of used with everybody was like, okay, now we just have to change the target slightly, right? Like we're not competing for a Stanley Cup anytime soon anyways. We're not competing for a Super Bowl anytime soon now. So what we need to do is change the targets instead. And the targets need to be geared around doing what we can with what we have. And so for the most part, like that was, you know, with athletes having a few pieces of equipment at home, like could go outside by themselves to do some running or some, some field work or some drills and things like that. Um, but really it was, we got to change the targets and we got to continue to just have momentum knowing that we may not be having the training sessions that we're used to having with the intensity and the volume and the frequency that we want, but understand that we just need to keep this ball rolling downhill so that when we can get back into the weight room or when we can get back to normal training or to practices or whatever that is, we don't feel like we have completely removed ourselves from our routine or what we're mm -hmm. used to. So that was kind of step one was like figuring out with each individual athlete, especially like the higher level ones who are paying me for that sort of support. It's like, okay, how are we going to change your day-to-day -day strategy now so that we continue to have some sort of routine? And that was kind of challenge number one. Challenge number two was then kind of when we got back to normal training or we got people back into the weight room was me giving them the, you know, giving them the understanding of why we needed to govern them for a little while in a sense of like, we can't just jump right back into what we were doing before. Uh, because as you talked about, like with injury rates, you know, tissue is resilient, but tissue also adapts very quickly. So mm -hmm. if you're used to, you know, deadlifting, squatting and benching once a week for, you know, however many years, and then all of a sudden we have to stop for several months. We have to go through a phase of repatterning and reconditioning that tissue for that sort of intensity, that sort of load, that sort of stress. Um, so first, like getting people to understand like, okay, we need to pump the brakes a little as we come back in. We almost need to act like you haven't been training for several months, even though you have. We have to act as if you haven't and ease our way back into this to make sure that we are healthy and strong. Uh, and then the, like managing the folks who maybe sustained some sort of injury or were coming off of an injury. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we, we have done a terrible job of like bridging this gap between the actual physical trauma of the injury. And then the, also like the, the mental component, the mental aspect that comes along with it. And like that bridge obviously needs to be gapped mm -hmm. uh, and, and closed. And from what I can do, like from my perspective with my skill set and my scope of practice in here is just constantly reminding my athletes, like particularly the ones who are returning to play from injury, um, obviously encouraging them to seek help from folks like yourself and Jotham. But what I can do in here is at least remind them like that they should have the confidence about returning to what they've been doing because they put in the work and the time mm -hmm. here. And I'm very transparent with people about that. Like I'll tell them straight up, like if you have some hesitancy, well, it's only because we've been back for eight weeks right? Mm -hmm. Give me another 12 weeks and now we'll be talking, right? Um, but the people who have put in the work, put in the time and made the commitment and are showing me from a musculoskeletal perspective in here that they're good to go, 
the best thing that I can offer them from a mental fitness perspective is to say, hey, you've put in the time, you've made the commitment, you've earned the right to do X, Y, or Z. So please try to go out there as confidently as possible. Um, and then obviously also seek real professional help in, in, in managing this part of your injury as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny. Like, as I listen to you talk about like your process in terms of like when you're setting goals and I, we, I talk about in my, in my sessions and with my clients of like the three P's, right. Of like the product, what is it that you want process and purpose? And it's very similar. It's like, that's amazing. I'm going to interrupt for one second because I have the three P's here as well. Oh yeah. We've never, we've never talked about that. No. <laughs> We're talking about everybody comes in the door for one or more of the combination of these three things. They have pain, they have a performance goal, or they have a picture goal, which when I say picture, I literally mean like a photograph, like they have a body composition goal. Yeah. Most people have two or three of those tied together. Yep. But it's just really funny that you have the three P's as well. Yeah. And so, and, and it's for me, it's it's all about like the for goal setting too. And I think that when we talk about that, so for me, when I hear athletes, it's, it's either like with, with injury, they want to get back to the playing field or they want to score 50 goals or they want to have, you know, it's a lot of plus minuses and a lot of stat-based goals that I have with, with athletes. And so those are great. Product goals are awesome. But to your point, what you were talking about, like those incremental process goals are far more important because they are within your control. You can't control having a 50-goal season necessarily, but you can control, all right, I'm going to take 100 shots on net every single day or whatever it is that, that you can absolutely have control over. And then that purpose is there as sort of like when things either don't go well, that's your that's your internal motor. Like, why are you even putting in all this work? Why is it even important to you? And you start getting people aligned and understanding those those last two parts of the of the process, and awesome things start to happen. And you know, to your point, I think it's awesome that you can reflect on like, look, you might have some hesitancy about going back in and that sort of mental trauma of that injury and remembering that and going through that. And I think most athletes can probably identify with at least one time that they've been through an injury and what that was like. Um, but the, the confidence that you give them of like, you've put the work in, you've made the effort, you've done what you need to do, that your body is physically fit to do what it needs to do. And then that next step was sort of where I, where some of the work that we put in of like addressing that original, that original trauma. I think we see it all the time. And one of the examples that I use is like Gordon Hayward. That dude has been riddled with injuries. And when he came back from that nasty, nasty ankle break um, a couple years ago, when he came back after he was physically cleared, you could tell like he wasn't quite all there and it took him a yeah. while to get back in. And um, I'm not sure if he was working with someone like me or doing some of that type of stuff, but you know, those are the athletes that I keep in my head of like, this is why the work is so important to continue because had he, you know, again, I don't know if he was working with somebody or not on that stuff specifically, mm -hmm. but if you can help address like, okay, what are your fears about returning back and how can we address that now while we're going through physical fitness and, and therapy? Um, you know, how can we get you ready to go so that when you get back on the field, there's no hindrances in your way. There's no barriers. It's just right back to execution and right back to performing at the highest level without any types of doubts or fears that you're going to get re-injured. And I think that's one of the biggest fears that I see with athletes of like, they're worried they're going to tear their hamstring or they're going to roll their ankle or whatever that injury was. They're worried about that. And what we do know about brain composition is the more that you think of something, the more likely it is to happen. So if you're constantly circulating the narrative that you're going to get re-injured in your head, you're actually priming yourself to become injured again. And so that's some of the stuff that, you know, we look to do to correct that of, you know, a, 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 to, to your point of what you said, 
really helping them understand like you're putting in the work you're doing exactly what you need to be doing staying focused on that that's within your control injuries not you can do everything right and still get injured so just focus on what you can control and what you have done as markers towards your progress and i think it's really cool that um like it's just funny how and this happens when we're talking offline too of like we basically are doing essentially the exact same work just training different parts of the body um so mine's mostly focused right here uh yeah. and you got the rest um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think one of the things that you said that's that's really interesting or, or sort of just makes me think is like, you know, one of the main principles of the way and of why we train the way we train is that it's a proactive injury reductionist viewpoint, right? Like we can't do anything to prevent injury, but we can do everything we can to minimize the risk, right? We We can develop a system that we think, okay, this is the best system that we can come up with to reduce the risk of performance-related injuries. So we're going to apply that stress as, as hard as we possibly can. And what I don't see, and I think that you and Jotham are like at the forefront of this, as I mentioned before, is the proactive approach to that same way of thinking when yep. it comes to your mental fitness, right? Yep. Like I, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are still, at least from the athletic perspective, like a reactionist. Oh, yeah. Right. Like hundred percent. I'm not going to go and see John until I tear my ACL. Mm -hmm. Right. And I need to have those conversations. Yep. But if we can do a better job as, you know, health and wellness professionals, if that's like the, the category of the bucket we want to place ourselves in is that we can put the mental fitness side of it and the mental health side of it in a proactive position as well. It's just going to be more advantageous for the athlete from their performance and also if they do suffer an injury, they're, you know, I feel like it would be so much less stress to be like, okay, now, not only did I suffer an injury, but now I have to introduce this new thing that's this mental health component. That's something I've never done before. Oh, yeah. Now I have to introduce this around my injury, where if it's something that the athlete is already familiar with and it's something that they participated in proactively throughout their career, that when these injuries do show up, it's going to be like, oh, this is what I've been here for. I've, I've already been, been doing it. A hundred percent. I'm ready. Yeah. We, so. I mean, that's what we see. I mean, we see that all the time. Um, like the preventative piece is where we, I've, Jotham and I have been like screaming from the rooftops, right? Of like, you, why wait until something's wrong for you to do this? This is very, this, this is advantageous to you now. Um, and we see that all the time, right? And so, like, why if if we know it works, and and it's gotten easier in the last decade because more and more professional athletes are coming out and talking about their own mental fitness. Simone Biles talks about it a lot. Tom Brady, LeBron James, Michael. I mean, the the list goes on and on um, in terms of high achieving athletes who are doing some of this stuff. So it makes it easy for me to be like, look, if it's good enough for freaking Tom Brady, why are you better than Tom Brady, uh, <laughs> right? So, uh, and if you are better than Tom Brady, why don't I see you on TV every week? Uh, right. So you know, I, I think that makes it easier. And I think that's one of the things that we're looking to do. And, you know, through our sports performance programming, like trying to get ourselves in front of athletes, whether it's teams or individual, and sort of just like, these are the skills that are going to help you regardless of whether you're injured or not. And they're just going to help you like giving them the mental fitness tools now. So that to your point, if they do get injured, they're like, Oh, okay, I can just continue doing what I've been doing to help me manage this stuff. Cause you're at the point of like, you know, when someone goes through injury, especially an athlete, like everything is lost for them, right? For a lot of athletes, their entire identity is wrapped up in their performance. And now all of a sudden they can't perform. And so then you ask them, be like, okay, well, you're going to be away from your sport for, let's say six months, your minimal interaction with your, with your teammates, and you can't perform. 
And oh yeah, so you're going to be probably close to your lowest. And now let's introduce something that's going to take a hell of a lot of mental capital for you to, to accomplish. That's a lot to ask. And um, you know, if they're doing stuff pro- proactively before then, it's a lot easier to jump on. And the analogy that I always use is if you're getting chased in the woods by a bear and you come across a bicycle, you sure as shit don't want to learn how to ride a bike right then. You want to know how to jump on and go right away. So, and that's kind of the analogy that I use for athletes of like, look, I recognize most of my athletes, I'd say probably upwards of 90% are coming to me with something that's going on for them, right? Something that's up, something that's in their way. I get very few that is like, hey, I like what you're doing. I like the training that you got and let's go. Let's let's do this training. That happens, that's the, that's the minority now and I'm really hoping to be able to flip that um, for the future. So um, I really, really want to thank you for, for coming on, Marco. This has been an awesome conversation, brother. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's many, many more to come, but I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us and sharing your insights. It's always highly valuable. I know that our listeners are super thankful for you coming on and sharing your thoughts. So I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so next week we'll, we'll have a, another guest as well. We're shifting things up, uh, for the next couple of sessions, having some, having some guests on to share their insights and their professionalism. So, uh, thanks so much for joining us and being a part of our, our podcast today. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.